0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. A few of the guests we had lined up for this week, unfortunately, well, we just couldn't quite close on them, so we'll do what we can to... uh, perhaps here from some previously recorded uh, bits. I think the Norman Lloyd interview from uh, Hollywood in May would be perfect. Let's see if we can get a few minutes from Mr. Lloyd. And we'll see if before the hour's up, we can't pull in a few of our old friends to, uh, to chip in about what's happening in this uh, rather wonderful summer we're having. I don't know if you've noticed, but Northern California is having unusually mild weather while the rest of the country cooks. They said as the world climate changes, there's going to be winners and losers <laughs> could be that the greater Sacramento region could be a big winner, because this is the third summer in a row where temperatures have been pretty nice. We still have a backlog, by the way, of some um, remarkable items discovered out in the garage. We're going to delve into some of those today, because they were fun. But, let us begin today's program, as we like to do, with On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 4th of August, and I believe we noted about uh, Groundhog Day that approximately August 4th would mark the midpoint of summer between the summer solstice and the autumnal equinox. And yet, even though it marks the midpoint of summer, no one's established a holiday for it. So we'd like to hear from you, dear listener. What should we call this summer holiday? I believe we suggested a midsummer day or a midsummer night or some such variation of that uh, six months ago. But how about Festivus from the old Seinfeld program, one of its uh, more memorable episodes? In the meantime, we're going to call it Parallax Day. Yay! But do drop us a line and give us your suggestions at info at parallax.com You folks are not writing like you used to. Of course, we haven't been goading you like we used to. So let's goad and you respond. How's that? And by the way, this may be a good time to mention that annually, the Sacramento News and Review likes to honor the best in the region. And one of the categories is, is best local radio show, we're counting on you, dear listener, our unabashed fans, to vote for that program which you consider the best among the locals. We're not, of course, suggesting who you should vote for, just urging you to vote. Because we don't have the big megaphone that some of our competitors do, so what we need is a high percentage of turnout. At any rate, it was on August 4th in 1578 that the Portuguese were defeated in their attempted invasion of Morocco. This was the Battle of Al Alcazar Kavir, if I'm getting that correctly. Unfortunately, uh, Portugal's King S- Sebastian was killed in the battle, which really set things back for the kingdom, which is really too bad because, you know, we could have been a contender. If it wasn't for King Sebastian, who somehow had his, his, you know, head filled with ideas of glory and conquest and all that sort of nonsense, and instead he winds up dead on the battlefield. On a happier note, on August 4th in 1693, Champagne was invented. And I didn't know this. The monk that invented it was named Dom Perignon. Evidently, he lived at the Benedictine Abbey of Houtersville in the region of Champagne in northern France. The beverage has been very popular ever since. And I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that Dom Perignon is worth the price, but it is darn good champagne. I'm not suggesting necessarily go out and buy a bottle to celebrate Parallax Day, but doggone it, there's plenty of dumber ways to spend 50 bucks. So what the heck, Uh, give some thought to champagne to celebrate Midsummer's Day or evening or whatever. Moving right along, on August 4th in the year 1735, freedom of the press was established in the United States as a result of John Peter Zenger, publisher of the New York Weekly Journal, winning an acquittal against libel charges placed by British Royal Governor William Crosby. Crosby tried to censor Zenger's attacks upon the crown. This concept of freedom of the press was later incorporated in the United States' Constitution. It did not, however, establish the corollary that if you want to have freedom of the press, make sure you own a printing press. Because let's face it, the media does not always do a great job of getting all the data out there that needs to be out there. You know what I mean? And actually, I'm, I'm sure you do. But nevertheless, a toast to John Peter Zenger. And on August 4th in 1845, the first package tour was organized by Thomas Cook, who was a printer from Leicester in England. He arranged trail trips to temperance galas, which doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun, frankly. But I gather this group of tea <laughs> took in Liverpool, Cairnophon, and Mount Snowden, which sound about as fun as I'm sure they were. For our quote of the day, we're going to go to the Week magazine. This may be the third version of this quote we've used. Apparently, Napoleon Bonaparte, as quoted in the London Daily Mail, once said, Never ascribe to malice that which is adequately explained by incompetence. We've used the quote before, but using stupidity instead of incompetence. Nevertheless, it is a good rule. Never ascribe to malice that which is adequately explained by, let's call it, incompetence slash stupidity. Our quip of the day comes from the pile I found out in the garage. Comes from The Onion. To quote, upscale consumers who enjoy cigars, wine, and uh, quote, all the finer things in life, unquote, will have a new magazine to enjoy beginning next month, opening in direct competition with Cigar Aficionado. But hitting newsstands and competing in that valuable 23 to 60-year-old demographic will be pompous ass. Magazine, Noted publisher Paul Westman, We plan to make pompous ass the magazine that no rich jerk can afford to be without. Our jokes of the day, and sometimes the truth is the funniest thing out there, comes from Harper's Magazine. This is the July 04 issue. And did some quotes. These were from cover letters sent by job applicants, clients, and vendors to Killen and Company, which was an advertising firm based in Chicago. How about, today is the first day of my life. I am terrified of the all-out approach I sense in my spirit. However, I'm not scared enough to let it stop me. I will sacrifice anything but my God, morals, and my family. wonder if he got the job. Pretty sure this guy didn't. Originally from Vietnam, I also offer experience in the following areas. Asian cuisine. I deliver in-box or out-of-the-box. Traditional massage. I satisfy client above their expectation. Karaoke singing, but also a lot of listening. Listening and listening to client. Would you like to taste any of those? Well, we hear it Parallax will pass. And we're pretty sure Killen and Company passed on this one too. At school, he's a student of advertising. On the streets of Chicago, he's a student of culture and memes. This is advertising, finding that elusive why. Charles understands the nuances of culture, the relativity of trends, the impact of memes. He is all of us and one of us. He is the cultural chameleon. And no, we don't know whether Charles is now writing for Pompous Ass Magazine, but we think it's rather more likely he's frequently saying things like, would you like fries with that? Or as we imagine Charles saying it, sir... Would you like fries with that? Anyway, another one I'm sure didn't pan out with Killen and company was, (laughs) Who's better to spew out insight, comma, than a college senior? Well, quite a few people actually, especially when you spell insight, I-N-C-I-T-E. And finally, another cover letter we're pretty sure didn't succeed was, I want to expose my creative ideas for a good agency. Not just that the agency is good, rather to build an image of quality. I want to expose my creative ideas for a good agency, not just that the agency is good, rather to build an image of quality. Thus, I am offering you this small note of request to give me a break by providing projects of A, creating concepts for TV commercials, B, print media, C, hoarding. You know, folks, if you're sending out job applications and cover letters, sometimes take a few extra minutes. You might want to run it past some friends, and above all else, try reading them out loud like we've just done. Sometimes when you read something out loud, just somehow the flaws are more obvious. Our stat of the day comes from the Gallup Poll Organization, which notes that for the first time, a majority of Americans, 59%, say smoking should be banned in all public places. Apparently 19% support making smoking totally illegal. Also a new high, but a bad idea. In fact, a very bad idea. Talk to people who are knowledgeable about prohibition, as, by the way, we're intending to do, and we're trying to get Dan Okrent to appear in this program. We're working hard to secure him as a guest through Simon & Schuster, and we hope we'll bring him to this program in the next two weeks as a warm-up for what I'm sure will be an excellent uh, series by Ken Burns, to appear on uh, public television in October on the subject of prohibition, based uh, not completely on, but um, relying heavily upon Daniel Okrent's book, Last Call, which is a great read. Now, we mentioned on last week's program that a lot of this material that I sort of dug out of the garage shocked me to some degree in, in its relevancy. In the wake of the U.S. economic meltdown in, in 2008, Some people just ask, gee, why didn't people see this coming? Well, a lot of people saw this coming. For example, Mr. Tolles, the cartoonist for the Washington Post, in April of 2004, did a three-panel cartoon talking about the new economy, noting each country does what it's best at. Under China, it showed people working in manufacturing. Under India, it showed people working at software design. And under the U.S., it showed a guy in a bank saying, I'd like to take out a third mortgage on my house so I can buy more stuff. And uh, by the way, we think it's just great that this phony baloney crisis of uh, not raising the debt ceiling was narrowly avoided this week. And yet I'm looking at a Mike Lukovich cartoon from August 03, showing a giant demon-like uh, being with a label on it, billion deficit. In front of him is George Bush at a lectern saying, I got me some intelligence saying he ain't a threat. I'll have more to say about our humongous, ridiculous deficit uh, uh, a little bit later in the program. And by the way, we want to get it up front in case we haven't made it clear in the past. We think the idea of borrowing money to live beyond our means is not the kind of thing that can go on forever. Forever. But our politicians treat it like it is. But uh, I think our Republican politicians are far and away the worst offenders. But we'll return to that topic a little bit later. But I do have to cite a Doonesbury cartoon, obviously from about 2004, where Mark Slackmire, working for NPR and his program, All Things Reconsidered, is asking a Republican hack, Frank, why does the GOP now embrace deficits? A little counterintuitive, no? which the guy responds, not at all. The bigger the deficit, the greater the pressure to restrain spending. Third panel, that's why we're trying to grow Bush's current $300 billion deficit. With the war, we might just hit $400 billion, maybe $450 billion. Noted Mark, further restraining spending, which the guy says, right. And if not, we'll just kick it up a notch. We laugh at the stupidity of raising the deficits in order to cut spending, but <laughs> that does seem to be the kind of thinking involved. Actually, not the kind of thinking involved, the thinking involved. If you want to use the term thinking. And a couple of Doonsbury's strips from 2004 about uh, the war in Iraq. Mike Doonesbury's having a conversation with a soldier, and the soldier is saying, The point is, sir, we're in a far less aggressive posture in Iraq now. Our main mission is force protection. Mike, what's force protection? Soldier, basically, it's preventing the bad guys from killing our troops. Mike, let me get this straight. We got 150,000 troops in Iraq whose main mission is to not get killed. Soldier, right. Mike, uh, can't they not get killed at home? Soldier, no, we need them to not get killed there so we don't get killed here. And final gem from our national treasure, Gary Trudeau, the cartoonist that gives us Doonesbury every day, airhead weasel reporter and now Fox News correspondent Roland Burton Headley is on the TV saying, despite all the excitement over the hand power of sovereignty in Iraq, the fact is the U.S. is building permanent bases throughout Iraq, digging in for the long haul. Publicly, some officials now concede U.S. troops won't be coming home for at least five years. To which the anchor asks him, what do they say privately? Headley: 10 years. If they're drunk, 15. You know, that seemed like a a stretch back in 2004 to say we were going to be there five years. Well, sometime this month, Iraq will vault into second place as the longest running war in American history, still trailing the active war in Afghanistan, which is now breaking all records every day, but yes, it is still a quagmire, which I think explains why we have such huge budget deficits, <laughs> and all this talk about how we're going to restrain spending and, uh, and, and cut back the government, and The Tea Partiers and Republicans just don't seem to regard the military as part of the government. This shocked our correspondent Gordon when we sent him out to one of those Tea Party events in San Francisco last year. But, uh, by God, it's true. They just don't see the military as part of the government. At any rate, before it's too late for this segment, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. of the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for sleeping through the night after the Crown Plaza hotel chain started testing its first snore absorption rooms with soundproof walls and apparently snore patrols to knock on the doors of those who are thunderously snoring away. And it was apparently a bad week last week for alpha males in the wake of a study of baboons showing that Alpha male baboons face the same high level of anxiety as the lowest troop members and far more than what, are, what were called beta males. Lead author of the Princeton study said that was surprising because in baboon society, being the boss is great. The payoffs include better food and more desirable females. But by observing baboons' behaviors and analyzing their droppings in Kenya over nine years... The Princeton researchers found that alpha males spent 17% more time fighting off challengers and guarding their females than their beta lieutenants did, and they had 10% higher levels of stress hormone glucocorticoid. In the long term, that extra glucocorticoid leaves them subject to disease and in decreased fertility. So there you go. Proof that it's tough to be on top sometimes. finally, it was an ugly week last week for the Mogul Express restaurant in New Jersey. In the wake of an appeals court ruling that a group of vegetarian Hindus who were apparently inadvertently served samosas containing meat at the Mogul Express, can sue the restaurant for the cost of flying to India to purify their souls in the Ganges River for 30 days. Said Mehul Thakkar of the Yogi Divine Society, if you follow the scriptures, it's definitely a huge cost. Well, we think it's definitely a huge cost whether or not you follow the scriptures. And refreshing to know that here in America, our appeals courts are able to decide that flying people to India to purify their souls is something you can sue for. Of course, the larger question in America is, what can't you sue for? And no, apparently, uh, I'm not going to be able to tell you, folks, uh, about some of the adventures I had in our court system for a little while longer yet, and, and perhaps never, but we'll see. We've been pretty hard on our legal system on this program, but not without reason. Anyway, a man who's filled with reason and good sense and humor is our pal Will Durst.
1: Hey guys, Will Durst here, speaking to you from the rubble littering the political landscape in the aftermath of the debt ceiling crisis. Yeah, it was quite a battle, and if you look close, you can see the bones of the middle class sticking out of the confetti left over from the banking and oil industry celebrations. Hard to understand why progressives are so mad at Obama. After all, he didn't do anything. I mean, besides caving faster than an access tunnel in a Chilean coal mine. The only difference here is you won't see anybody rushing to organize any rescue party. One of the things we learned is Obama is so determined to govern from the middle of the road, there should be a double yellow line down the center of his forehead. He's king of the roadkill party. The teabaggers managed to confuse both Democrats and Republicans by refusing to act with the usual political motivations, such as welfare of the nation, party loyalty, or their own self-interest. Proving that old adage, never get in a fight with an ugly person, he's got nothing to lose. They held the government hostage, and the president fell victim to a bad case of Stockholm Syndrome, bonding with his captors to where he was able to convince them to accept more than they were asking for. The administration called the deal a compromise. Yeah, same kind of compromise the Titanic arranged with that iceberg. Like how Nagasaki and Hiroshima compromised with Fat Man and Little Boy. Think of the concessions given by New Orleans to Katrina. It was the financial equivalent of handing over Czechoslovakia after extracting a vague Tea Party promise to leave Poland alone. Difficult to tell what lies in store, though, for the 2012 elections. At this point, you can't even accuse the Democrats of being afraid of their own shadow because they don't cast one. Besides, it's hard to see your shadow when your head is so far up your butt you can tickle your spleen with your elbow. And on that cheery note, I remain. For Radio Parallax, Will Durst.
0: Always good to hear from America's foremost political comic. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We've got lots more. Stick around.